Freightonomics, the show where we combine the freight market and the macroeconomic environment and mush it together into one <laughs> word that we call Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, uh, head of freight market intelligence here at Freightwaves, and joining me as always, Chief Economist Anthony Smith. Uh, and I am fresh off of vacation, Anthony. Yeah, so Zach cut his vacation short just to be here for Freightonomics. We're going to pretend that's the reason why you're here. And I'm so happy you're all tuning in. I'm Anthony Smith, as Zach mentioned, and this is Freightonomics. And we should apply to get registered in Webster. Why? Like, just have Freightonomics as a Yeah, we should. Word. I think it's a word that everybody knows now. I think everyone should know yeah, that. Everybody, I mean, it's, it's basically part of the vernacular. I, I hear it <laughs> at least five times a day. You're right. Outside of this context. But I'm going to be looking down every once in a while. I'm not being that rude. I'm only being a little bit rude. I'll be checking online on LinkedIn if you have any questions, comments, want to jump in the conversation because we have a lot of news items to kind of hit on today and join in. Well, I'm, I had to learn today. I, had to, I hopped right <laughs> out, out from the beach, hopped right into the, all the data and all the numbers. And so I have to refresh myself on what just happened. You know, we just had Memorial Day. Yeah. Uh, and we're still seeing this slowing in the freight market. But we've have, we have some new information. We just have, you know, some articles that I wanted to cover today that address this ongoing idea of freight recession versus not a freight recession versus macroeconomic recession that we haven't really seen uh, as much of here over the last bit. So even though we did have negative GDP <laughs> uh, in the first quarter, uh, but that was kind of blown off, I, I say, if you will, uh, because we had such a strange environment to come out of uh, for that. But you know, today's show is going to be addressing some of the current indicators. What are we looking at now? Kind of get refreshed on what we're going to see, or, or, you know, over the summer, uh, you know, because I think we can start to paint a little bit better picture over what this environment is going to be over the ne- at least the next couple of months. I don't know that we can call it over the next six months, but we're certainly starting to see some things foundationally support uh, a little bit more of this continued slowing. Certainly this growth era appears to be over uh, as a lot of consumers are now back on the road, <laughs> yeah. such as myself. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at the, we always talk about it, when you're looking at the macro environment versus the freight environment, that they're not always going to move in unison, not always going to be in concert. Sometimes you can have a macro recession, the overall U.S. GDP can go negative back-to-back quarters, while we are just booming freight-wise and vice versa, we can be in a freight recession while the U.S. is completely just skyrocketing. And so sometimes they do kind of coincide together. Sometimes you will see that there will be a slower growth in overall economic um, activity, and there's also a slowdown in freight activity. And there's all these different variables that kind of go into it. For the macro-U.S. environment, the biggest one is always going to be the U.S. consumer. And that's why I'm always looking at some of these consumer-facing indices, something like retail sales, job openings, housing starts, stuff like that. But when looking at the freight market, there's so many other yep. variables that not just is going to depend on the consumer, but what's happening within the freight market, equipment, uh, inflationary pressures. is capacity, durable goods. durable goods. Durable goods versus services. And of course, before the pandemic, we were, what, 70% services, uh, yeah, which I think we kind of, I, I don't, I didn't, haven't heard any numbers, but did we move that I think it, it moves slightly. I got to look at the most updated yeah. numbers. I think it comes out quarterly. Okay. And so we're, we're going to. We definitely to need to do that for next week. Get mm-hmm. the get the numbers to see what, if anything, if we move that uh, that line over to the good side. So, first up, though, we've got to cover some stories here, and I think this one is really directed at you, Anthony. Uh, this first story for Newsonomics here. Um, this is an article written by Eric Coolidge, our very talented air at cargo editor. Uh, 
airline industry economist sees recession risk in 2023. So not necessarily right now, but into the future, she was talking about uh, seeing this. Marie Owens Thompson uh, basically said, uh, the slowing economy is on track for modest growth in 2022, but the odds of a downturn that could reduce cross-border trade next year are increasing. Um, and she goes on to talk about something, this concept here, uh, that in terms of the overall economy, you just talked about it. We have a goods economy and we have a service economy. The freight market, of course, every, a lot of the people watching this are very concerned about that goods economy. Uh, the moving of durable goods. And she's kind of saying that the overall economy, so services, are probably going to keep us afloat throughout 2022, but there's downside risk for the service and durable goods in 2023. Uh, and this concept, I would love to get your take on this, is basically she said, I'm thinking 2022 could be a bit of a sweet spot where people don't really care about the inflation and they have such a strong urge to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, and she's saying they're going to ignore inflation for the time being because they have some money. They want to travel. I just did. I've done it twice already this year. Uh, and, and what are your thoughts here in, in terms of what she's saying? Yeah. So, uh, when I'm looking at 2023, that was always an area that I was a little bit, um, concerned about going into 2023, even when we were in the beginning of 2022 this year, um, g moving out, I'm still concerned about the second half of 2022, I think we look at consumer conditions. I'm looking at the last stronghold, and I always say it's going to be those job conditions, those job openings that can really help outpace some of these inflationary concerns. And so right now, consumers are still getting eaten up by inflation, but those consumers are only going to be as strong as their options right now. And so, yeah, we could see consumers continue to spin and push until 2023. But the big concerning thing is now is that these producers, these shippers, these companies may not have the same amount of job openings by the time we get to 2023. And that is going to put us in a world of hurt. So we look at consumer confidence. It's been at you know, record lows, things like that. But the consumer keeps spending. Right. And so actions speak louder than words. And so because we're still seeing that spending, it's almost like uh, these consumer indices don't matter, but they do in the right context, in the right frame. And that's showing that once these job openings start to decline, these consumers are going to be in a bad position. We're seeing credit card spending back through the roof um, right back at pre-pandemic level. So consumers are right back at there. Um, and so the pace is going to be a little bit concerning if they continue to move at this pace. And so we could be in a recession right now. If not, I mean, that's great too. But the second half of 2022 is concerning. 2023, I think, is even more concerning if we start to see these job openings really start to tumble down. Yeah, I think this debt ceiling <laughs> yeah. for the consumer, we haven't quite hit it yet. So I almost think that we're kind of, and, and obviously I'd lean on you to support this or, or dis dispute it, is that we're kind of pulling it forward. Like we're, we're kind of saying, okay, we're super excited right now because we can leave, we can go places, we're sick of sitting in our refurbished house <laughs> uh, and, and gas prices be darned. Yeah. We're, we're able to kind of float this on our credit card or with some debt for the time being. Do you think that that's going to erode uh, quickly? I think so, So <laughs> potentially so. When we look at the latter half of the year, especially during those fall, winter months, Services isn't going to be the big thing. It'll be goods once again. Um, right. By then, we need to continue to see that these producers, these businesses, these companies are going to be in a strong position and continue to have those openings. You're going to hear earning calls, and we have heard earning calls about um, a lot of producers, a lot of shippers saying that their inventory is building up upstream. Some of them saying that it was done on purpose, but I'm sure some of those executives have to say that they're doing it on purpose 
in order to avoid. It's hard to navigate those earnings calls. It at times. Is. You got to really read between the lines when you listen to them talk because they have to have their investors uh, best interests. Right. Uh, and that means producing that value from their stock price. So you really do have to uh, take that with a for what it's worth. Exactly right. Um, so she says, global shipping demand by air fell by about 5% in March and even more in April from the year prior, uh, according to the IATA data. Um, and then she says, she goes on to state, and I love this statement right here because it's this is a long-term situation. Uh, systematic headwinds such as climate change. I haven't heard that one in a minute, yeah. uh, but I, I like what she's saying there. The Russian invasion of Ukraine and protectionism pose a challenge to long-term growth. Peace has been the most growth-promoting policy that anybody has ever invented. So energy transition is the key to a better future. So basically saying, get off the oil. <laughs> yeah. uh, stop polluting, get off the oil, and we all need to get along. And that is what's going to project the global economy forward at a faster, more healthy rate versus this, this period of conflict. What do you think about that? So the thing that that I, I agree with the most out of all of this is that protectionism. So when you're looking at these protectionism type of policies, they're almost always going to involve some type of economic inefficiency. And it's just so frustrating to watch when you see countries or regions that should be producing a certain good or a service that are not allowed to produce it at this competitive price that they should be com- uh, sorry, producing it at because there's some type of protection in place right. to produce that good at a higher cost or less inefficiently internally, or I should I say domestically. And so those can be some of the things I think pop up, especially as we see more conflict, sides being picked potentially, that could be an economic inefficiency. So I think when you look at times of peace, I think she's spot on right there, that it's a great thing for economic growth. When you start looking at some of these protectionism type programs, that can really start to be a hindrance to economic growth. Yeah, and Craig Fuller, of course, has has written a few articles on this type of topic. Where, you know, if we can't get along as a global community, our, we're gonna we're not gonna see the economic growth that right. we that we could. So I definitely recommend checking out that article on Freightways.com. It's one, it's up there near the top today. Uh, but moving on. Greg Miller. I got to have a Greg Miller article every now and again. He covers our maritime sector. Uh, Ports get much needed respite as container ship traffic jam eases. Now, we haven't, you know, this was a huge topic last year. We saw all these containers, uh, these container ships piling up outside the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach. Uh, Now there's some on the East Coast uh, as well around New York, New Jersey and Savannah. And we've seen a significant decline since the start of the year at Los Angeles, Long Beach. We were at 109 ships on January 9th, uh, and now we're all the way down to 25 uh, at birth. So there's still some sitting there. Uh, This is the lowest point since July 28th of last year. So I don't think a lot of people remember. We actually saw a lot of these container ships kind of ease because we shut down in China. Mm. Uh, Yanshan shut down, uh, which allowed them to clear some of these log jams. So the situation can turn pretty rapidly uh, out there. So there's still plenty of freight moving on out there. And I want to bring up, of course, one of our charts, uh, the IOTI, uh, if you guys can pull that one up for me. The IOTI, of course, measures uh, booking volume coming from uh, all over the uh, globe to uh, the United States ports, so all the ports internally. And you can see there, year over year, 31%. Now, this is a daily index, 10-day moving average of TUs being booked and that's based on estimated time of departure date. So 
That dotted line is the forecast for the next seven days that you can see at the very end. But the point is, you can see we've had some dramatic retraction coming in. So this, this would support uh, that we are probably going to see some near-term easing, at least in the port congestion uh, situation. The rates haven't fallen dramatically, however, uh, on the ports. And that's something we've seen in trucking contracted side. So we, you really have to look at near and long-term rates because uh, Greg Miller goes on to point out that this is the first time in a long time, because Freitos uh, you know, does the freight futures thing for the ocean, uh, ocean container futures, I should call it. And they're basically saying that people are actually trading like we're going to see rates go back up mm. on the ocean container lines uh, in the near future. So that is a, a pretty significant development. So even though we're seeing some easing pressure into the United States and things are supporting this continued easing, people don't expect it to last in the long term. Right. Yeah. And someone that I'm always, of course, listening to during these times for Maritime News is going to be Henry Byers, and especially yeah. um, he, he makes these really interesting and, and enlightening LinkedIn posts from time to time, just covering um, the, the maritime sector. And one of my favorites that he posted looks two days ago, said, Ningbo, Shanghai, your container surge. And so jumping into some of like some of the points you just went over here and really kind of reiterating some of the factors that kind of went into some of these factors that we're seeing play out overseas. Yeah, it's, it's a wild place. I think the maritime side is going to be really hard to read yeah. uh, here over the next year and a half, more than likely. Because that, And I should point that out, that the freight futures were for a rebound in rates in 2023 over their current value right now. But definitely check out that article by Greg Miller uh, to get a little bit more details there. So I, I also want to address this one article before we move into the main discussion, because this also helped... Uh, allows me to kind of give audience the, the audience a new insight into one of our newest tickers, mm. uh, our newest data points, which isn't really new uh, if you wanted to do some math, <laughs> but it is new in terms of a release here. But so this one here, uh, large carriers still seeing strong demand midway through Q2. Uh, and this is based on some earnings calls mm -hmm. uh, that are coming out. You know, the earnings calls happen uh, a little while after uh, close of the the quarter itself. So we get a little bit of insight into what's happening from a, a few of these. And uh, again, a lot of the larger fleets are saying, we're not seeing a big deterioration in the freight market. What did I just say a minute ago? <laughs> yeah. Read between the lines a little bit. They're not seeing a huge deterioration in their contracted freight volumes. A lot of these larger carriers are heavily contracted freight. These, it's the smaller guys or the people that are out there running on 50, 60% spot market volume, uh, that's the part that's deteriorated. So I want to bring up this, our newest index here to kind of illustrate this point, because I think this is, this is very telling. This is our contracted loads accepted volume. So you're used to seeing us put up the OTVI. So what this is, is simply an index of the accepted only volumes. OTVI is the accepted and rejected volumes. And it is the quickest indicator of demand movements and freight. So for uh, trucking uh, shippers submitting electronic tenders to their carriers, as that goes up dramatically, you start to see the waterfalls, those tenders will they'll jump more dramatically. They start to accept more tenders, the tenders fall. Mm -hmm. This is the accepted only. So the blue line represents la uh, this year. That purple line is last year. Does that surprise you? Not too, too much. I mean, we're looking at all the, the thing that I, I think initially surprises me was the point that you made earlier about the earnings calls and how 
they're not seeing any drop in, in their demand right now. It's still strong for them. But then, you know, taking a second to think about it, okay, wait, yeah, the, the smaller, the conjure, uh, the spot, a lot of other smaller operators and, and mid-sized enterprise uh, yep. operations. That makes sense. Yeah, so at, at a contracted level, if you're heavily contracted, moving 98% contracted freight, you're moving the same amount of freight as you did last year. <laughs> uh, you're just not playing in the spot market gambit uh, like a lot of carriers will do, especially when they can get more for it. So, I mean, this just also supports the idea that demand was outpacing capacity by a huge amount right. because the tender rejection rate is now right around 8%. Uh, it was around, you know, is in the low 20s, I believe, at this point last year, 23 mm-hmm. percentage points. So there was just more rejected freight last year but the contract, the, the carriers were only able to accept the same exact amount of freight. So year over year, we're almost dead even uh, right. with where we were this time last year in the contracted market. So I, I think that's my big takeaways for the weekly news reports, Anthony. And mm. I, I just don't know. So the, when you're reading about these larger fleets and larger earnings, definitely keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Contracted versus spot. And for this, this graphic that we have up here, the green line is the year ago level. Is that right? Yeah, the green line is for a year ago. Orange line is for two years ago, so when the pandemic was okay. getting going. So we're moving way more freight on the contracted side. So the question now is, are we going to see that upward movement, that return to where we were last year and kind of keep pace to where we were a year ago? Yeah, that is a big question. Yeah. Uh, I think you can, you can sort of, considering the rejection rate is still hovering right around 8 9%, we're not seeing a dramatic shift right now gotcha. uh, in, in the market. So right now, and normally volumes do increase through the summer, some long-term projections, like you said, that third, fourth quarter, that's when we go back to goods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this freight right now is a lot shorter haul freight. Yeah, Time will tell. I think over the summer, we can kind of, we're starting to see some stabilization, some ground grounding. And it's just really unclear that the sense of urgency has enough to sustain more than a few months. That's going to be the big thing is that the type of momentum that will go into the second half with, I think that will determine how painful or how alleviating some of the pressures will be when we start to get there. So if we can still see that consumers can continue to push and keep some of those, um, some of those uh, containers busy with bringing more freight in throughout the country because there's more goods being purchased, say there's a strong Christmas in July, Right. Um, you know, consumers are just going, you know, nuts on e-commerce goods. And then we see that transition into back to school. Then we start to see that transition into holiday spending. And are they still going to spend that holiday money? Right. Uh, that's that's the big question. And is it the right inventory? I yeah. mean, they've overordered and they have these gluts of inventory. We talked to Zach Rogers last week. It, it's a very different world that we're in right now. It's not straightforward seasonality that you can rely on. I want to pull up one more chart real quick. Our outbound tender rejection index. Oh, try um, just to kind of bring this all the way back together. So the blue line there, the current tender rejection rate, we saw a little bit of a bump around Memorial Day. We just had uh, normally what is kind of the seasonal kickoff to freight capacity kind of tightening uh, as it does nearly every year uh, about this time. Last year, it was still on this downward slant, but it popped up around July the 4th. So we still have capacity issues that are upcoming for July the 4th. So I do still expect these tender rejection rates to jump up uh, here in a few weeks as we approach that. The question is, are they going to sustain at Mm. this level? Because this is the big change. Tender rejections last year in the green line, way above where they were or where they are right now. Uh, And have we reached that point where freight volumes are stabilizing enough 
to keep us in this holding pattern uh, throughout the summer? Yeah, I think that's going to be the, the big question is, okay, okay, yeah, go back up, but is it sustainable? And I think it's almost going to be the, the everyone kind of asking what is sustainable, not just mm-hmm. in the supply chain, but in the macro economy. Yeah. How sustainable is all of this? When you're looking at um, the early parts or the mid part of the pandemic, looking at stimulus packages, how sustainable is this? You're looking at the housing market, how sustainable is this? When you're looking at um, what's going on with inflationary pressures, how sustainable is this? And I think that's going to be the big thing that a lot of people are starting to be curious about. And I think it's all coming to a head right around the third to fourth quarter of 2022. Let's 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 talk about some macroeconomic figures yeah. real quick, uh, because uh, th- this is kind of the, the thing that's been obviously <laughs> driving a lot of these freight volumes. Uh, the housing market, Anthony, what do yeah. we what do we look like there? We've had interest rates increase. Are we still in a heated housing market? Is there still enough demand? Is still enough activity to keep that afloat? So there's still enough demand for sure. I mean, so if you look at housing starts um, and housing home, new home sales, those were one of the indicators that a lot of people were really calling out last week. I think about a week and a half ago when it came out, it showed a downward movement. Um, not too concerning here just because we're still at double digit, r- roughly 20% for homes that have been... Right authorized but not yet um, started, and homes that have been started not completed, and completions are down double-digit levels on a year-over-year basis. And so there is inventory building up. Um, There are going to be less institutional investment going into housing and construction. We're looking at that. So that's going to be institutions, you know, companies, businesses, or I should say um, financial institutions, some buying homes sight unseen, just using an algorithm, paying above asking, and just swiping it off the market. Others are going to be those individuals that are buying a second or third or fourth, or just they're a property investor. They're going to be swiping some of these homes off the market. That was happening earlier on in the year and in the latter half of 2021. Moving on, now we're seeing, okay, there's going to be some of these home buyers, some potential first-time home buyers that are trying to sneak into the market, make a purchase or two. But because all that institutional investment, all of those second, third, fourth home buyers exiting the market, there was so much push forward to get ahead of the increased interest rates. That was one of the things that was really outlined in the HPSI, the Home Purchasing Sentiment Index from Fannie Mae, was that there is a record number of folks expecting that there's going to be a rise in mortgage rates. And here we are. So a lot of home purchases were pulled forward. And we were talking about it earlier on in the year that there's going to be a little bit of a softer traditional housing season just because there was such a pull forward and all that activity. So you're saying that we're we're probably in the front edge of this market kind of easing out. Oh, yeah. It's going (laughs) to ease out. um, But there's just such a a runway of homes that are still going to be built. Yeah. Got a while. What about our industrial sector? So industrial sector, um, as of March, I called for a peak in the rate of growth. And so uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're just going to crash and come down because there's still a lot of backlogs, new orders, Mm -hmm. things like that still coming down the pipeline. ISM PMI came out not too long ago. I think just this, this morning showed continued expansion and the overall manufacturing segment. So there is still ongoing growth here. So prices are still in the 80s. So showing that that is still very much elevated. <laughs> still going on. <laughs> so we're looking at manufacturing. This is definitely going to be another one with this and construction to feed into the, that flatbed trailer. Not that say it's going to skyrocket and just go through the roof, but going to keep it at a moderating trend. If it goes down a little bit, I don't see it dropping as fast as right. uh, we saw with drive and everything like that. But flatbeds are still going to be busy or comparatively, even though it's such a smaller segment. So similar story to the housing. We still got a little bit of runway to go there. And it's it's probably a little bit beefier Uh, than the housing market. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And there's a lot of concern around, I think, um, nearshoring, things like that. That Mm -hmm. is just such a... The geopolitical space right now. Yeah. It's... 
it's a mess. <laughs> it is a mess. It's a mess. I mean, you look at stories like uh, one of the interesting things, Russia is really starting to build up a lot of capital. And that's because Nobody's. no one's <laughs> selling me things. So if everyone just denied me McDonald's french fries, I'd be a lot more of a wealthy man because Uber Eats takes a that's large insane. part of my... <laughs> that's insane to think about. Like yeah. they're building up capital because nobody's playing. <laughs> yeah, because no one's playing. And so that makes me think, is there going to be a party that they could potentially tempt with maybe, you know, being a gray market to, you know, be a trade partner that could act on both sides? Who's going to be a lower OECD country that would play ball potentially just for that additional capital? I, we, we would have to dive into that a whole nother show to, <laughs> for me to understand that fully. That just doesn't, I, I can't see how that squares. So let's tie it together. The summer, yeah. consumer spending more money on services right. than goods than they did in the past. It's going to obviously weaken the freight volumes. Housing market, housing market and industrial side still got a decent amount of runway. So we're not, we have not actualized a full on like slowdown just yet. Not just yet, but watching those job numbers, mm -hmm. watch job openings, once you start to see that come down, that's why I think it's going to be the early signs of, okay, there's going to be a little bit of a shift watch here. Watch the jobs. Also, the quit Thursday. rate. The quit rate is also going to be another one to watch because we look at the quit rate, people not feeling as secure about leaving their jobs. Yeah. going to be another area to watch closely. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for watching uh, this week's show. Uh, it's been nice to come back uh, off the beach a little bit. Drink more water. Drink some water. We have Trey Kwan, Lee, and Edwin Roundtree. Thanks for tuning in. Rick